You're listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Paul Bhutan on the Calvary Brighton Podcast. In, in full disclosure, I, I am borrowing today's message, the title of it, from, from the great Mick Jagger when he said, I'm free to do what I want. I'm free to do what I want because in many ways, that was the attitude of many of the Corinthians that, that Paul's writing to. Now remember, Back in the previous chapter, we, we've now entered a new section of the book where, where, where we saw that, that the Corinthians had written a letter to the Apostle Paul, and in that letter, they were asking Paul a series of questions. Uh, they were asking, you know, first of all in chapter 7, questions about marriage and divorce. But now in chapter 8, the question that they're dealing with now happens to deal with the issue of, of, of so-called Christian liberties, Christian freedoms, you know, things that, that some Christians are free to do with a clean conscience, but then again, that very same thing might actually become a problem if a different Christian tries to do it. It might be a problem for them. Now, of course, nowadays, you know, when, when we talk about Christian liberties, we talk about Christian freedoms, you know, we, we're, we're often asking the question, you know, well, what, what about drinking or, or what about smoking or what about, you know, certain movies or, or certain kinds of music or, 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 or the way you dress or, or and the list kind of goes on and on and on. Well, the issue at hand here in chapter 8 was, had to do with eating meat, specifically meat that had been sacrificed to an idol. Now, there were some in the church who, who felt like they had the freedom to eat that kind of meat, you know, that their conscience was clean, but then when someone else in the church would question them about their freedom, then they would get all defensive and be like, hey, don't be Captain Buzzkill. You know, listen, I, I, I was set free by Jesus, and, and now that I'm set free by Jesus, I'm free to do what I want. Any old time, as in, 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 you know the rest of the song. But anyway, you know, yeah, I'm free to do what I want. That's basically the attitude that, that Paul's dealing with behind this chapter this morning. So now as we go back to the first three verses, first of all, Paul's dealing with those who think they know better. Those who think they know better. Verse 1, he says again, Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that that all of us possesses knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But anyone who loves God, pardon me, he's known by God. Anyone who loves God is known by God. Now, listen, I don't know about you. I don't know if this happened to you, but in my my early days as a Christian, back, back in my early 20s, you know, like 10 years ago, Okay, like 30-something years ago, uh, you know, in, in my early walk with the Lord, you know, they're, 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 I went through this, this phase, you know, this, this kind of intellectual phase, if you would, you know, where, where I was reading everything about, about every cult and every false religion and, and just, you know, reading and studying and reading and studying. So I kind of went through this phase where, where it was like a little Bible knowledge led to a really big head, if you know what I mean. I mean, I got really puffed up. And so I'd study these cults and, and, and this thing and that thing. And then I, I would go to downtown Denver. I, I'd go to a, a coffee house over by Auraria campus. And I'd purposely get in, in, in like theological fights, you know, debates with people, with like, like pagans. And I would debate them about, about Christianity versus Buddhism or Christianity versus Hinduism or, or, or New Age or, or this or that. And, and, and it's like I just kind of got off on, 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 on proving how smart I was. In fact, I remember one time I was, I was like 23 years old. A friend and I were coming back from, from California. And so we're at, we're at LAX airport. By the way, worst airport on the planet, by the way. Uh, but, you know, we're at LAX and, 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 and these two girls come up who, who are Hare Krishnas. And, and so they come up, they start talking to us. One of them notices that I'm wearing this in and out burger shirt. She says, oh, in and out She says, as Hare Krishnas, we can't eat that. 
I said, oh, that's too bad. And she said, no. I said, why, why, why can't you eat that? And she says, well, the, the Bhagavad Gita tells us that, that you know, we can't eat meat because we're killing the animal, and the animal has a soul. And so it's cruel. We can't do that. And, and so instead, we have to eat vegetables. You know? and, and I was like, well, you know, uh, you know, when you eat a fruit or eat a vegetable, aren't you doing the same thing? Don't, don't, aren't you killing it when you're eating it? She says, no. She says, you see, the, the Bhagavad Gita teaches us that, that, you know, like when you have some fruit, for example, like, you know, you got an apple tree, you go up and you grab one apple off the tree, you know, you didn't kill the whole tree. You just took some of the fruit, but the tree stayed alive. And so this is a good thing, she said. I said, oh, so what you're saying is that, is that you know, if I want to eat meat, if I just went up to a cow and, and, and cut off one leg of it and, and cook that up, but I let the whole cow stay alive, then that would be okay? She's like, you're disgusting. And she left. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is how to get rid of a Hare Krishna in less than five minutes. <laughs> and this is just kind of the attitude that I had. And that's kind of what Paul's talking about. And in verse one, he says, knowledge puffs up. You just get this arrogance about you. In fact, uh, <coughs> pardon me. <coughs> Pastor Rick Warren uh, said that, that he said, it took seven years for life to beat the pride out of me that seminary put into me. And then finally, God could start to use me. And so it's that kind of arrogance that's behind this passage. Now, again, the context was dealing with meat that had been sacrificed to an idol. Now, let me paint the picture. You see, in those days, there were basically two places to get meat. Now, one would have been the the so-called meat market. Now, the meat market in Corinth was called the shambles. So you go to the shambles and you would buy meat, but but the meat there was sold at a premium. It It was always the most expensive meat. However, the other place to buy meat in those ancient times were at the pagan temples. You know, like the, the temple of Zeus or the temple of Aphrodite or, or whatever pagan god you worshipped. And so it was kind of common knowledge, by the way, that the pagan temple was the, was the best place to get the cheapest prices on the freshest meat. And so, and so that was like common knowledge. <clears throat> and so here's how it worked. You know, in those days, they, they would come, you know, the, the worshipers would come to these temples and, you know, they'd come by the thousands and, and they'd all have a sacrifice to bring. And so they're bringing their animal as a sacrifice. And, and, and so that animal would be divided up into three portions. Now, the first portion was, was always the smallest portion. And that was the portion that would be sacrificed to the god or goddess that you were worshiping. And, and so they would burn that at the altar. But then the second portion, that was a much larger portion. And that was reserved for the priest. And, and so that was like, like a payment to the priest. And then the third portion, that portion would then be released to the public, like for public consumption. Now, there's a couple things that would happen. First of all, the, the portion that was for the priest was often too much for the priest himself to consume. I mean, keep in mind, there were hundreds, if not thousands upon thousands of worshipers coming to these temples with, with their animals to sacrifice. So there was no way that he could eat all of that meat. So typically what would happen is they, they would convert these pagan temples into sort of a restaurant so that, so that after service they could have barbecue. You know, and so, so instead of going out after service to Dickie's barbecue, you went over to Zeus's barbecue. You know, or, or you know, maybe Aphrodite's barbecue. And so that was like the first thing that would happen. Now, number two, the second thing that happened is that, is that the public portion, that portion would be immediately brought over to the shambles, to the, to the meat market to be sold. And again, it was, it was widely known that that meat was the freshest meat, you know, because it was just sacrificed. It was just offered. It was always the freshest meat. And so typically the shopper would almost always ask, hey, was that meat sacrificed to an idol? 
And there were two reasons they asked. Number one, they're asking, hey, is that the freshest cut? I want to get the freshest meat possible. But then number two, there was a second reason they would ask that question. A second reason they would ask, was that meat sacrificed to an idol? And that is because of, of, a, of a superstition that the pagans had. You know, the, the, the pagans had this superstition. First of all, they believed that when you offered that meat as a sacrifice to a god, they believed whatever god or goddess you were worshiping, the soul of that god would inhabit the meat. And so therefore, when you ate the meat, that was sort of your way of becoming one with the god that you worshiped. However, it was only temporary. They also believed that, that, that there were demons lurking around every corner. And if the meat sat too long, well, then the, the, the soul of the God that you worship would leave, and now a demon would fill that meat instead. And, and so literally, the, the ribeye was now demon-possessed. And then if you ate that ribeye, you might become demon-possessed. And, you know, and, and maybe as a result, you get violently ill. And, and so what we would call food poisoning, they called demonic possession. Or, you know, maybe, maybe you lose your mind. You see some guy walking down the street just kind of murmuring to himself, you know, just, and you're like, well, I know what got into that guy. He got some of that deviled ham. That's what happened to him. And so that's kind of the context. That's what's happening behind the scenes here. Now, with that in mind, there, the, 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 in the Corinthian church, there were two different groups, two different categories of Christian. Now, number one might have been the new believer the brand new believer in Christ who, who in many ways still believed those superstitions. They still believed that it was possible for you to get the wrong meat and get demon-possessed. Or to even get the right meat, and, and now as a Christian, it's a problem because now you've got Zeus living inside you. And you're supposed to have Jesus living inside you, but you ate the wrong steak. And so, and, and, you know, so they would always ask, you know, was that meat sacrificed to an idol? Because you know, they had to hang up with the meat. But then on the other hand, you had, you had this other category of Christian. We call them the mature Christian. Those who had the knowledge to know better. Those who, who had been walking with the Lord for a little while. They knew the scriptures. They knew that that meat was nothing more than just meat. There was nothing wrong with it. Uh, it wasn't going to do anything to them. And, and, and the only reason you're buying it is because it was the best priced meat in town. It was just meat. But here is the problem. The problem is that those with the knowledge were looking down on those who, who, who had the meat hang-ups. They were looking down on them. So as Warren Wiersbe in his commentary puts it, he says, if our knowledge puffs up, then it cannot build up. A know-it-all attitude is only a, an evidence of ignorance. And so when it says in verse one that knowledge puffs up, but love builds up, the idea is that, you know what? It's possible to grow in, in the knowledge of God without growing in the love of God. And so in this passage, we see this tension. We see this tug of war between love versus knowledge. Love versus knowledge. We, we see this tension. So now with that, we pick it up in verse 4 through verse 6, and now we get to the issue of Christian liberty. You know, where we ask questions like, is, is a Christian free to do this? Or is a Christian free to do that? And so in verse, verse 4 it says, Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and, and that there's no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are, quote-unquote, many gods and many, quote-unquote, lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father from heaven. I'm sorry, the Father from whom all things are and from whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things are and through whom we exist. So now, in this section, Paul is now still talking to the knowledge group, to those who think they know better. 
you know, to those who, who think they're so mature in the faith and, and they think they have all this knowledge. And they're the ones in verse four who are, who are saying, we know that an idol has no real existence. In fact, if you notice in verse four, that section that I just read was in quotations. Why? Because he was quoting them. This is what the knowledge group was saying. This is what the, the so-called mature Christians were saying. They were saying, we know that, there's, there's, you know, that, that these idols have no real existence. We know better. Now, by the way, chapter 10 later on gives us a little more detail, a little more information. For example, chapter 10, verses 27 and 28, the Apostle Paul says, if, if any of those who do not believe invite you to dinner and you desire to go, eat whatever is set before you, asking no question for conscience sake. But if someone says to you, this was offered to idols, do not eat for, for the sake of the one who told you and for conscience sake. So, you know, here, here's the picture. You know, the idea is, is maybe, maybe you invite a, a new believer over to your house for dinner. Now here you are, you're the, you're the quote-unquote mature believer, you're the mature Christian. You know, and, and so perhaps you feel that as a mature Christian, you have the right, you have the freedom to eat this meat. There, there's nothing wrong with it, you know it's not demon-possessed, you, 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 it, was just, it was just at a discount, it was just good fresh meat. And so you have the freedom to eat this meat. But then again, they are, are a new believer. And maybe they have hangups. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe they, 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 they haven't processed all this. And so they turn and they say, hey, was this meat sacrificed to idols? Then all of a sudden you as the, the quote-unquote mature believer, you know, maybe, maybe you get a little huffy-puffy, a little defensive. And you're like, hey, brother, you know what? You need to grow up in your faith. You know, you're, you're immature in your faith. Listen, these idols aren't real gods. They don't have any power. Uh, they, they can't do anything. They don't exist. They're just wood. They're just stone. They're just, you know, just metal. They, they, they're not real. In fact, maybe even quote some scripture to prove your point. Maybe you quote Psalm 115 verse 5 that says, They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but they cannot see. Or maybe you quote Jeremiah 10 verse 5 that says, Like a scarecrow in a melon patch, their idols cannot speak. They must be carried because they cannot walk. Do not fear them. They can do no harm, nor can they do any good. And so you quote scripture after scripture, and you prove your point. And you're like, you know what? If you were as spiritually mature as I am, if you were as wise as I am, if you knew the scripture like I know the scripture, you wouldn't be so superstitious. You wouldn't be so weak in your faith. Now again, in our day, the issue has nothing to do with, with meat sacrificed to an idol. I mean, when was the last time any of you went into an In-N-Out burger and said, hey, was that double-double animal style sacrificed to an idol? They might look at you like you're an all-beef patty shy of a double-double, right? And so again, today, you know, the, the issue when, when it comes to liberty, when it comes to freedom that, that we ask is, is, you know, as a Christian, do, do, does a Christian still have the liberty? Does a Christian have the, 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 the freedom to drink alcohol or, or to smoke cigarettes or, or to watch this or to, or to listen to that or to wear this kind of clothing? These sorts of que questions. Now again, some get really legalistic about this. You know, there'll be some people that kind of have this attitude of, of, you know what, I don't drink or smoke or chew or hang out with sinners that do. <laughs> They just get a little judgmental. But you know, I'm often asked by, 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 by new Christians in particular, you know, maybe they smoke and, and they're like, you know, pastor, I smoke cigarettes and, you know, and I'm trying to give it up and I, you know, is, is smoking a sin? I mean, am I gonna go to hell because I smoke? And I often reassure them and tell them, no, listen, the, the Bible clearly states that if you're born again, if you've accepted Jesus Christ, if you're walking with Jesus, if he's in you and you've given your life to him, then you're going to heaven, even if you do smoke. In fact, if you smoke, you're probably gonna get there quicker. It's very reassuring, I assure you. 
you know, and so we ask questions, you know, what, 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 about, what about, you know, smoking or what about wearing this? And then, of course, the big one of the day is what about drinking alcohol? You know, as a Christian, you know, you know can, is there anything wrong with, with drinking? Can I, can I go out to drinks with my friends after work or go out on the weekends or, or just, you know, go home and crack open a cold one? No, listen, first of all, the Bible that does not condemn, uh, you know, uh, drinking in moderation. In, in other words, you know, the occasional glass of wine with, with a meal every now and then, something like that. In fact, listen, wine is often used in the Bible as a symbol of joy. For example, uh, Psalm 104, verse 15, uh, where it tells us, first of all, that God made the grass for the cattle to eat. It also says that God also made wine, which makes man's heart glad. And so, and so it's used as a symbol of joy. Now later on, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 23, the Apostle Paul tells, tells his protege in the ministry, Timothy, to drink a little wine for your stomach. Emphasis on the phrase, little wine. He didn't say, hey, go get smashed for your stomach. You know, because once you get done purging, you're going to feel a lot. But no, he didn't. He's just a little wine for your stomach. Now you have to understand, by the way, in those biblical times, the wine that they drank was very diluted. It was, it was two parts wine to one part water. In fact, the alcohol content was about 2% alcohol. I mean, when I was in high school, we had this, you know, 3-2 beer. Anybody remember that? And everybody joked about, like, there's no alcohol in it. This, the wine content is 2% alcohol. Now, they had stronger drinks, but I'm just saying, in general, the wine that they typically drank was, was a weak version of wine. They were not drinking to get drunk. They weren't even drinking to get a buzz. It was just part of their, their social part of their life. Now, and so, you know, the Bible doesn't condemn the occasional drink every now and then. But what the Bible does condemn is getting drunk. For example, uh, Proverbs 20, verse 1, it says, Wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler. Now, the NIV puts it this way. After it says wine's a mocker, it says beer is a brawler. In other words, what it's saying is that, you know what? Drinking to excess leads to violence. Some of us have seen this, right? Some of us, we, we know the guy who, who, after a few too many drinks, gets his beer muscles on, you know, all of a sudden starts to think that he's Dwayne Johnson, The Rock. He's like, you know, who wants a piece of me, right? You know, and then later when he sobers up, he realizes he is not Dwayne Johnson. He is not The Rock. He's more like Pee Wee Herman. <laughs> In fact, did you know it's been estimated that, that two-thirds of domestic violence situations, the aggressor had been drinking at the time of his arrest? Two-thirds. Likewise, uh, four out of 10 child abusers were under the influence of alcohol while they were abusing their children. 40% of incarcerated people for violent crimes were, were, were under the influence of alcohol while they were committing their crime. And so Proverbs 20 is correct when it says, wine is a mocker, strong drink, a brawler. And see, so yeah, on the one hand, there are some who, who have the freedom to, to have an occasional drink every now and then, and, and they can do it in, 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 with a clean conscience because they're not drinking to get a buzz or they're not drinking to get drunk. But at the same time, there are just as many who cannot. They don't have that freedom. In fact, we're going to see here as we pick it up in verses 7 through 12 that, that, that one man's freedom can easily be another man's stumbling block. And so in verse 7, 
Paul says, however, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. Food will not, not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and, and no better if we do. But take care, lest this right of yours does, does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged, if his conscience is weak, to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person has destroyed the brother for whom Christ died. Thus, sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it's weak, you sin against Christ. So it's interesting. Verse 9, he says, take care that this right of yours does not become a stumbling block to the weak. And I want us to notice the word weak. It's the Greek term astheneo. Uh, it, it, it could be rendered feeble. It can be translated sick. But it's the idea that, that, that you have an illness that is making you weak. You, you have an illness that is making you anemic. Now I point that out because typically, here's what happens. Typically, we view that, that the so-called strong Christian is, is the one who has knowledge. And, and the strong Christian thinks that it's their knowledge that makes them strong. Because they know the scriptures and they, and they know the Lord and they know this and they know that. And so their knowledge is what makes them strong. And so therefore, they think that, that the reason you're so weak is because you lack the knowledge that they have. You're not as wise as they are. You know, if, if you just knew the scripture like they knew the scripture, if you were just as advanced as they were, if you were just as mature in your faith as they were, you wouldn't be so weak. You wouldn't be so feeble-minded. You wouldn't be a sheeple, they might say. But, but the reality, based on the word that Paul's using here for weakness, is that really their weakness should be viewed more as an illness than as a lack of knowledge. Their weakness should be viewed as an illness rather than as a lack of knowledge. And so think of it this way, alcohol. Maybe, maybe they got saved from an alcoholic background, and for them, it might only take just one little drink to send them back into a lifestyle of addiction. Or, or then again, maybe, maybe they grew up in, a, in an abusive home like I did, where, 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 where alcohol led to violence and more violence and more violence, and now maybe they are just deathly afraid that the same thing can happen in their family if they start drinking. Yeah, but here's what happens. You know, sometimes what happens is, is, that, is that the believer with the so-called weak conscience, you know, they, they see a, a, a brother in Christ who has the freedom to do the very thing that they themselves cannot do, but then they start thinking, you know, maybe there's something wrong with me. Maybe I'm weak in my faith. Maybe if I just had more faith, I'd be able to do what they do. So maybe I should just step out in faith, and, and maybe I should copy them and, and do what they're doing. So they step out, and, and they try it, and they end up enslaved to it. And so what Paul is saying is this. He's saying, you know what? If your freedom leads to their slavery, you've not only sinned against them, you've sinned against Christ. And now on that note, verse 13, we have, a, we have a warning. The warning is this. Beware of stumbling blocks. Verse 13, therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. Now some of your translations, instead of using the word stumble, it might use the word offended. It's the Greek word skandalizo. It's an interesting term. This is a word that really has two shades of meaning, two different shades of meaning. Now, now on the one hand, uh, and I'll get to the second shade of meaning in, in a few minutes, but on the one hand, uh, this, the, the way it's being used in this particular context, it's the idea of a stumbling block, a stumbling block. Now, a stumbling block speaks of, a, of an obstacle that you would throw in the road to cause someone else to stumble. 
And it was often used, this term stumbling block was often used in the context of the Olympic Games, particularly a marathon. Now for the Corinthians, for them, it would have been used in their version of the Olympic Games that they called the Asminian Games. Basically the same thing, just smaller scale. And so you, know, you have this marathon going on and, and so you've got all the runners and maybe you've got one runner who, who, who's got like this, this win at, at all cost mentality. And basically he lives by the motto, if you're not cheating, you're not trying. And so he's out there and, and maybe he's running and then he throws a boulder in the road or he throws a big branch in the road hoping to trip the, the, the runners behind him up. And so what's interesting to me is, is that in the context of, of Christian liberties, in other words, in the context of, of a Christian having certain freedoms to do this thing or freedoms to do that thing in that context, and again, the case here was, was the freedom to eat meat, sacrificed to an idol, but in the context of, of, of using your Christian liberties, Paul now uses a word picture of cheating. You know, cheating in the Olympics, cheating in a marathon. He uses this word picture in the context of, of your liberties. And so the, the picture here is, is that, you know what? When you love your freedom more than you love your brother in Christ, you, then, then you're like, like, like running the, the Christian race with this win-at-all-cost mentality. All that matters is me. You know, basically, if I'm not cheating, I'm not trying. I don't care if, if others stumble, I'm going to get this. You know, the truth is, is that we should be running the Christian race with the, with the mindset that, you know what, if my brother wins, I win. I mean, after all, Hebrews 3.13 says, encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Likewise, Galatians 5, verses 13 and 14, it says, for you, brethren, have been called to liberty, only do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's really the, the motto for the Christian running in the race of life should be, you know what, if you're not serving, you're not trying. If you're not encouraging, you're not trying. So now with that, we remember back in verse one that Paul said, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. There's this tension between knowledge versus love. And in that tension, what we see is, is that, you know, some of us, we, we tend to think that the, that the strong Christian is the one who knows better. The strong Christian is the one who, who has the freedom to do this or the, the freedom to that. And then, and then we tend to think that the weak Christian is the one who's easily offended anytime I exercise my, my liberty. They're, they're, the weak Christian is the one who's easily offended anytime I exercise my right to do this or to do that. When in fact, what Paul's pointing out is that, is that the truth is that the strong Christian is not necessarily the one who exercises his right. Rather, the strong Christian is the one who exercises his love. Exercises his love. I mean, yeah, sure, you have the freedom to do this. You have the freedom to do that. And, and yeah, you have the knowledge. You, you, you know what the Word says about this. You know what the Word of God says about that. But at the same time, you, 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 you find that, 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 that you, you give up your freedom. You give up your right. Why? For the sake of your weaker brother. And in this context, the, the weaker brother is not the one who's easily offended in fact, I've often found that those who call themselves the strong Christian, they're often the ones that are easily offended. That's nobody in this room, I'm just saying. But, but oftentimes it's not the, the weaker Christian who's easily offended. No, the weaker Christian is typically the one who's easily stumbled. 
Again, maybe it's a, a new believer in Christ and, and maybe your freedom to do this thing or that thing is, is what causes them to, 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 to stumble, causes them to, to maybe backslide and, 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 and trip up in the Lord. Or then again, like, like I said before, maybe, maybe it's somebody who got saved out of, a, out of, a, out of a, a, an alcoholic background. They're a recovering alcoholic. But then your freedom might be the very thing that causes them to stumble back into a lifestyle of addiction. Or then again, maybe you've got the freedom to watch a you know, certain type of movie on, on Netflix. And so there you are, you're watching these, these movies, and, and even though they're rated M for mature, you, know, you have the freedom to watch it, but maybe your freedom might be the very thing that sends your brother back into a porn addiction. And so what we're saying is, is that in the Christian race, it's not about tripping up one another, it's about lifting up one another. Encourage one another daily as long as it's called today. Now, by the way, I said that this word stumble or, or offended, the Greek word skandalizo, uh, it, it has two shades of meaning. I gave you the first, here's the second. It, not only does this word mean stumbling block, but it can also be translated snare, like, like, like a trap. In fact, it speaks of, a, of really a trigger in a trap uh, where, where, you know, you, you place the bait, you know, and, and it's easily set off. It's easily triggered with, with, with the slightest bit of motion, kind of like a mouse trap. So here's the idea. The idea is, is, that, is that the devil has baited a trap for you. He's baited a trap, and he's just waiting for you to trip it up. He's just waiting for you to trigger the trap. And so, yeah, while it's true that, that you might be easily stumbled by a fellow brother in Christ, you know what? It's also just as true you might even be more easily triggered and more easily stumbled by yourself. We can stumble ourselves. We can trip up ourselves. You know, it's interesting. <clears throat> among the, the frequently asked questions that I get as a pastor, you know, among them would, would often be this question. You know, as a Christian, you know, pastor, you know, as a, as a Christian, you know, is it okay for me to do this or to do that? You know, just kind of fill in the blank. You know, can I still drink? You know, can I still go out to happy hour? You know, can I, can I still go out on the weekends with my friends and have a few? You know, or, or pastor, you know, is it okay for me to, as a Christian, smoke weed? Or, or, you know, can I still sleep with my girlfriend as long as we're monogamous? And I mean, this just goes on and on and on. But as a Christian, can I still, and then fill in the blank. You know, but it's amazing to me. I mean, you know, I mean, think about it. Some of us, be, before Jesus got a hold of us, before Jesus changed our lives, some of us were in bondage to those things. We were enslaved to those things, and then Jesus came and set us free. You know, just like it says in John 8, 36, if the Son has set you free, you shall be free indeed. Which is why it is so weird to me that, that, that so many of us, we, we were basically walking through life saying this. We're basically saying, hey, now that Jesus has set me free from my porn addiction, now that Jesus has set me free from my alcohol addiction, now that Jesus set me free from my anger problems, now that Jesus set me free from fill in the blank, am I free to go back to my slavery? Am I free to go back to it? I mean, we're basically no different than the children of Israel. Remember the children of Israel, they, they had been slaves. They had been in bondage to Egypt for 400 years. God sets them free. God delivers them. And, and then as soon as life doesn't turn out the way they want, as soon as they get a little bit of difficulty, what do they do? They grumble, they complain, and they're like, we're going back to Egypt. We miss the leeks and the onions. We're going back to Egypt. We're going back to our slavery. Now I looked this up in the Greek. Here this is, here this is how this is pronounced. It's pronounced, are you stupid or something? I mean, you got delivered from that. You got saved from that. Why in the world do you want to go back and be enslaved to it again? Why would you ever want to go back? Now with that, 
2 Corinthians 2.11 tells us this. It tells us not to be ignorant of the devil's schemes. Schemes can be translated tricks, wiles, tactics, but it's a word that's often used of an animal that, that, is, that is stalking his prey and then he pounces on it at the right time. Now with that in mind, remember, 1 Peter 5.8 says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Listen, the devil's always plotting. He, he's always scheming. He, he's always on the prowl. He, he has set a trap and he's waiting for you to trip it up. I've said this before, but I've read how, how Eskimos uh, hunt for wolves. And what they do is, is they, 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 they get some blood and, they, and they, they coat their knife with it and then they freeze it. Then they put another layer of blood on it, freeze that, another layer and another layer and another layer until effectively it's like a big ball of frozen blood covering the blade of the knife. Then they bury it, blade up in the snow. And then they, they hide and they wait. And then sure enough, the, the, the wolf catches the scent of blood. He can't resist it. He tracks it down. He starts licking and licking and licking and licking. And, he, and, and every lick just it gives him an insatiable thirst. And he's just licking and licking to the point that he doesn't realize that the blood that he's tasting is his own. And the, and, and the Eskimo comes back the next morning to find the wolf dead. He was literally killed by his own craving. And in the same way, listen. The devil has baited his trap for you. And, and, and he baits his trap using your own weaknesses, using your own cravings as his bait. And so listen, if you are set free from porn, if you are set free from, from drinking, you're set free from drugs, set free from anger, uh, set free from lying and cheating, or, or you fill in the blank, listen, don't fall for the devil's bait. He's baiting a trap. He's scheming. It's his scheme to get you back into bondage. And so, yeah, maybe another Christian has the freedom to do this or to do that, and maybe you do not. Listen, their freedom could very well be your stumbling block. Put it another way, their freedom can very well be his bait for your fall, for your slavery. Again, Galatians 5.13, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty, only do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. Thanks for listening to the Calvary Brighton podcast. To find out more about our ministry in Brighton, Colorado, go to calvarychapelbrighton.com.